Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. You know, one of the things that I think we struggle with as Christians, and in particular as, as religious people, is whether or not we should ask God questions. Is it irreverent? Is it wrong? Is it disrespectful to ask God questions? And I would, I would tell you that absolutely, positively, it's vital that we ask God questions. Um, anything else just becomes dead religion where you just uh, agree with whatever the pastor, priest, or religious leader tells you. And that, that's just inappropriate. God wants you to ask questions. That's a big part of relationship building with God is being able to ask questions and getting your questions answered. And so today I want you to listen in and think about this. God wants to answer your question. So put your feelings and your thoughts into a question and ask your good heavenly father uh, for, for answers to your questions. Well, we're going to launch right into this, this uh, question today. It's an interesting question. And we're going to be exploring Acts 15. If you have your Bibles, you can open up your Bibles. You can also follow along the screen. Either way works just fine. I meant to dismiss the kids. I didn't do it. So if the kids want to go, they're welcome to go. I apologize. But Acts 15, we're going to explore this question, how to get your questions answered. How to get your questions answered. And I think that is so important. I think a lot of times we as as Christians... Um, I know I've had this tendency. We honestly, we kind of think, I don't know if it's right to ask questions. I don't know if God really expects me to a- ask questions. Is it irreverent to ask questions? Is it, is it inappropriate to ask questions? Ask God questions? And I'm here to tell you, God wants to answer your questions. And I don't know about you. I have a lot of questions. I'm curious about a lot of things, both spiritual and physical and. And I, w- I like to get answers. And every time God answers one of my questions, it does something for me. It increases my faith in him. It helps me understand something I didn't understand before. And so it's good to have questions, and it's good to ask questions. And I'm here to tell you how you can get your questions answered. All right? And some of them are, are deep questions. Some of them are painful questions that we have. But let's just jump right into it. We're going to be looking in Acts 15, as I've mentioned. And uh, we're just continuing to, through the book of Acts. But I'm going to go ahead and read through this. We're not going to touch the whole chapter. We're going to do probably about two-thirds of the chapter today on this theme of how to get your questions answered. Certain people came down from Judea to, um, to Antioch and were teaching the believers... They were teaching the believers something very interesting. They said, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Can you imagine if that was really a prerequisite for a male? <laughs> to be saved is for you to be circumcised. And we're going to get to, to why on earth they thought this, had this concept in their minds. This brought... Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. Now, Paul and Barnabas were kind of the leaders or some of the leaders in the church in Antioch. There, and we showed a map up a couple of weeks ago where, where Antioch is. It's in modern day Syria, up above where Lebanon is. Okay, and so this brought them into sharp dispute and they debated 
this question. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers in that church, to go down to Jerusalem, because they were north of Jerusalem, to travel down to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles and elders of the church there in Jerusalem, because that's where the church was kind of centered in, about this question. You see, there was a question. And so they wanted to get an answer to this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. It's interesting. Everywhere where Paul and Barnabas went, they were telling about Jesus. They were explaining about Jesus. This last week, we were obviously in Arkansas, but before that, I had to travel to Houston on work and got to semi-share about Jesus there in the workplace with somebody that was that turned out to be a Christian, everywhere you go, you can tell people about Jesus. And we should be, because Jesus is the best thing going on this earth. We can't waste our time and and keep our lips sealed on the goodness of God. So everywhere they went, they they were telling about what God was doing. And this news made the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. It's sad to go to a church when you're not welcome there, isn't it? It's nice to walk in the door and feel like, hey, these people are actually kind of nice. They're, they're, they're not jerks. They're not turkeys, all right? You, they were welcomed, and um, there they reported everything that God had done through them. And there's all the chapters that we've been reading. You can go back and read those. Remind yourself of that. But here in verse 5, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. All right, so this, is, this was a, a point of tension, a point of contention in the church. And so these Pharisees got up and said, hey, if these guys, these Gentiles, these non-Jewish folks, if they're going to be Christians like us, they've got to keep the whole law of Moses. The law of Moses being essentially the first five books of the Old Testament. That Moses wrote, where God gave the law to the to the Israelites, and they had, in fact, there was there was three different components to the law. We'll throw it up here on the screen so you can see it. But there was the civil law. So imagine this: two million slaves came out of Egypt, and they didn't have a law. They had nothing to govern their society. They were essentially a lawless society, and God knew that. And God said, you need some laws. This is what happens when somebody steals. This is what happens when somebody is abused. This is what happens when all these scenarios occur. And so part of that law of Moses was just a civil law, like we have laws in the United States. The the second component to this law that, that was referred to by these Pharisees, by the way, the Pharisees were the religious kind of leaders of the Jews at that time. And so the the second component was this ceremonial law. It was how to worship God at that time. And they literally had to do animal sacrifices for the sins they'd committed. Can you imagine every time you thought a bad thought, every time you said something that you shouldn't say, every time you did something that you shouldn't do, that you had to go kill an animal (laughs) for the sins that you had committed? Can you imagine how inconvenient that would be? And so they had the ceremonial law for rules for worshiping God, but the third component to this law was the moral law. 
the, the rights and wrongs that were timeless. Did you know that what was wrong a thousand years ago in God's eyes is still wrong today? And did you know that the things that God considers right throughout all of history continue to be right to this very day? You see, the moral law, the, the ethical law, the, the virtuous and righteous things and the evil and bad things have not changed in God's sight. This guy and I went out to lunch one day and he was talking about morality to me. We were discussing morality, specifically sexual morality. And, and I, I, I asked him, I said, because his, his opinion and my opinion were very different. And he asked me, or I asked him actually, I said, why do you think, because he believes in the Bible, I said, why do you think that the Bible is very clear on this moral stance that you have, and, let, and yet you're taking a total, the opposite view of this? And he said, well, I think God has changed his mind. I think God has changed his mind. Let me tell you what, if there's one thing I'm certain of from the Bible is that God has not changed his mind about anything. His, his list of what's moral and what's not moral has not changed, regardless of what our society says, regardless of what uh, the American laws, because American laws change. Do you realize that? Our American laws have changed dramatically and continue to change dramatically. But you know what? God never changes, and his moral law doesn't change either. And so, anyways, what, what was happening here is, though, the, the Pharisees that were Christians were coming and saying the ceremonial law, the ways of worshiping God, have to continue to be applied today. And these Gentiles that are becoming Christians, they have to keep on doing the things, including circumcision of the males. And they can't be a Christian unless they, they track with a whole Mosaic law, the whole ceremonial law that was there in the Old Testament. So look at this. In verse 6, the apostles, they're in Jerusalem there, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. They took the statement from somebody and made it into a question, and you and I, we need to do the same thing. If the law says in our country that abortion is okay, we need to take that statement, that law, and turn it into a question and say, what does God think about abortion? What does God think about this? What does God think about that? Turn everything into a question, or I say formulate a question. So here's some questions that might be out there on the street, might even be crossing your mind right now. Let's throw them up here. Does God think that smoking pot is good for me? It's a question, you know, and it needs to be answered. Many states have legalized, you know, marijuana and, and certain levels of certain drugs. All right. Is that okay in God's view? That's a good question. I mean, we need to answer that question, right? We need to know the answer to that question. Here's another one. How can I deal with worry and anxiety in my life? I'm tired of being a worry wart. I'm tired of being stressed out all the time. And so my question is, how can I deal with the worry and anxiety that I have in my life? That's a good question. And God wants to answer that question, by the way. How can I teach my children to be self-motivated? You know, I want my kids to get up when they get older, you know, 
do good in school, apply themselves, not mess around. And I want to know as a parent, how can my kids get motivated in life? It's a good question. I think God wants to answer that question, don't you? All right. Here's another one. Why do I feel this cloud of negativity and doom over me every day? Some people struggle with that. They wake up in the morning, they automatically think, today is going to be a bad day. Bad things are going to happen to me today. And so we need to know, how can, why do I feel this way and how can I stop feeling this way? You see, turning these, these questions are good questions. All right. How can I deal with the fact that I just don't feel attracted to the opposite sex? That's a good question. How, you know, how do I deal with this question? So instead of having these thoughts in our minds and these feelings that we carry, take your your feelings and your thoughts and turn them into questions. Write them down and have God begin to answer your questions because he wants to answer your questions. How do I know, by the way, that God wants to answer your questions? Well, the Bible talks about understanding. He talks about wisdom. And these, these, uh, this wisdom and understanding is the answer to your questions. And it feels good to get our questions answered. Well, let's, keep, let's read on. We're in verse 7 now of Acts 15. It says, after much discussion, there, picture this. There's a church, maybe like ours, probably bigger, and all of these people have put this question out there. Hey, in order to be saved, do we have to keep the whole law of Moses? And so they debated it. They discussed it. They argued over it. It was tense in that room, I bet. I bet. But after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now, Peter was one of the you know, the 12 disciples, and now he was an apostle, a leader in the church. But before we get into what Peter said, look at this. If you have a question, have deep discussions with godly people that you trust and you respect. If you have a question, don't let the question just stick in your brain and and not know what to do with it and feel stressed out about it. No, go find somebody that you trust, somebody that you respect, a godly person, and talk about your question. Talk about it. Debate it. Argue over it. But discuss it. And I think so many times, I know I've done this, I get a question in my mind, I have a feeling, a thought, I don't know how to deal with it, and here I'm stuck with this stupid question rattling around in my brain, and I don't know what to do about it because I don't have any answers. Go find a godly person and discuss, and that's exactly what they did. Don't go find somebody, by the way, that's just going to tickle your ear and tell you what you want to hear, all right? That's not the kind of friends you need. You need friends who are going to confront you sometimes, stare you down sometimes, and tell you, you know what, you're, you're headed on the wrong path, bud. <laughs> you need to get on the right path. So find somebody that you trust and respect to help you stay straight, all right? So John 8, uh, 32, I love this. It says, but you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Oh, what is the truth? An answer to your question. You will get the answer to your question, and the answer to your question is going to set you free. It's going to set you free. The Bible says that we've been given weapons, spiritual weapons, to 
tear down strongholds. What's a stronghold? It's a thought pattern. It's a bad attitude. It's an addiction. What tears? What weapons do you have in your arsenal? You've got the truth of God. You've got an answered question that every time that doubt comes to you, say, no, I've got the answer. That doubt can't come to me anymore because I know the answer. That's a weapon that God has given you there. Specific truths that fight the lies that try to get in your brain and stick there. All right? So these truths, these answered questions are going to set you free. So Peter gets up to address them. He says, brothers, you know that some time ago, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the people who aren't keeping all the law, the ceremonial laws that was in the law of Moses, he said, you saw that from my very lips, the message that, uh, excuse me, let me back up here. God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Remember, that was that centurion that had Peter come to his house and, and spoke to him. And, and he says, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Now look at these words right here. You know because God showed you something. You know because God showed you something. Now a lot of times we have a question that honestly God has already answered. You know it because God already showed you. All right, But for whatever reason, because you don't like his answer maybe, or is there still a lingering doubt that you need to address in your mind? You're still asking God. And let me tell you what, if God has showed you something, you know it. It's time for you to just say, okay, God, I accept what you're telling me. I accept what you're telling me. So if you have a question, that's fine. God is going to answer your question, but make up your mind in advance that whatever God shows you, you are going to accept because he has showed you the right path, the right way. What are the right attitude? Whatever you need to stop doing or whatever you need to start doing, he's showed you. We have selective memory a lot of times, don't we? We like to think the, the memories that we want to think about, but the stuff that doesn't kind of line up with the way we think, uh, well, I'm going to forget that part. Stop having a selective memory and start remembering what God has showed you. Verse 9, Peter continues to speak to the the group there, the church group. He says, God did not discriminate between us. In other words, the Jews or the Gentiles. Aren't you glad? As Americans, we're Gentiles. Aren't you glad that God didn't say, I'm just going to pick the Jews. But no, the Americans are out of luck. (laughs) No, no, no. God doesn't discriminate, praise God. For he purified their hearts by faith. And I love this. God doesn't purify your heart because you do good things or because you don't do bad things. That's not how God purifies our hearts. He purifies our hearts when we say, Jesus, I need you to help me. I can't do this on my own. And in his help purifies your very heart. Don't come to God all cleaned up with perfume and nice hair and nice clothes. No, you come to God grunged out, stinky, messed up, a life that's totally messed up. You come to God and you say, God, help me, please. That's what faith is. The church shouldn't be a beauty pageant. The church is a hospital. Man, we come here because we need God. 
We're messed up. We're not perfect. We've got to get God's help in our lives. And we say, God, I'm going to church on Sunday, but not because I feel like it. I need it. I've got to have more of Jesus in my life. And he starts straightening your life out. You see, he purifies your life by your faith in God. Purifies your heart by your faith in God. And so when we start needing answers from God, we first have to understand his nature. Look, it says here that God doesn't discriminate. So when you go to God with a question, he's not going to say, oh, look at your shoes. You look like a mess. You know, he doesn't look at you. Oh, my word. You don't have a collared shirt on. Look, your shirt's untucked and you're wearing jeans today. You know what? He doesn't discriminate. Thank the Lord that he doesn't discriminate based on race. He doesn't discriminate based on whether you've been in jail or not. He doesn't discriminate whether you manage your money well or not, whether you kept your marriage together or not. He doesn't discriminate. All right. Praise God. And so you have to have that in your mind. Before you say, okay, he's going to answer my question. He answers everybody's questions. If we'll just start listening to him. We're going to talk, to, talk about that also. But here's another thing about God. Just, just kind of a little side, kind of a rabbit hole here. But you know what? God purifies your heart through faith. In other words, he takes you as you are, but he doesn't keep you as you are. God is going to change your life. <laughs> He's going to change your life whether you, whether you want to change your life or not. You don't, you don't change your life. God changes your life. And I look back just a year or two. In fact, we were just talking about this. God's been changing me. In fact, I'll tell you, these last two weeks, God has changed me big time through just life, experiences, kind of tough experiences, quite frankly, God is changing my life every week. And if I'll let him, he'll change me every day. He purifies our heart by faith. And see, when you come to God asking a question, you got to be ready to change a little bit. you got to be ready to change because he's going to change you. God is like the ultimate coach in life. Whether you talk about a business coach, an athletic coach, a life coach, whatever coach. God is the ultimate coach. He's never going to let you stay the same. He is going to push you. He's going to help you. He's going to yell at you sometimes. He's going to encourage you other times. God is not going to let you stay the same. I hope if there's a message you get today, I hope it's that. He purifies our heart. It's because he loves us. All right. So let's read on verse 10. Now then, why? Here's Peter still talking. He says, now then, Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of these poor Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors could ever bear? Do you think they actually sacrificed an animal every single time they sinned? No, it was impossible. You'd be killing animals left and right. You'd never get there. (laughs) It was impossible. And he says, why are you trying to do this to the Gentiles for something we could never do ourselves? No, We believe that it is through grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus, that we are saved just as they are. Isn't that a big old, whoo, thank goodness. Phew, I don't have to do it. God's going to help me do it. That's the grace of God. What's the grace of God? Well, we could talk hours about what the grace of God, but it is simply this, the goodness of God. The unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but he favors you. 
He looks at you and he says, you're my favorite. You are my favorite. And you look in the mirror. What? Me? I'm God's favorite? How is that possible? Yes, you are God's favorite. Just like everybody <laughs> that lives under God's grace is God's favorite. I used to think about this. You know, I have four kids. Do I spread my love evenly, one-fourth, 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 on each of my children? No, I love each of them 100%. All of my love is on each one of them. And God is the same. 100% of his love is on you. You, you're special to God. He loves you. He treasures you. And so it's the grace of God, the goodness of God that saves us, not our deeds. These people that think, and we all tend to think of this, well, I hope that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, and that gets me hopefully into those pearly gates of heaven. No way. That's not how it works. Our bad deeds outweigh our good deeds 10 to 1, 100 to 1, 1,000 to 1, whatever. But God's great grace outweighs everything. His goodness outweighs our bad deeds, not our, our good deeds. You see, we can't earn our way into heaven. It can't, do, it can't be done. I, you know, sorry. <laughs> God's goodness is what gets us to where we need to be. And all we got to do is put our faith in God's goodness from this, this point on. Say, God, I just trust in your grace. That's how we're saved. All right? In fact, all we can do in life is really just receive. That's all we can do. We come to God and we say, give me some more, God. <laughs> give me some more peace. I can't work peace up in my heart. Give me some more help, financial help. He'll bless you that way. Give me, help me in my marriage. Help me in my decisions. Help me with my job. Receive, 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 receive. And pretty, pretty soon, then you're bubbling over with what God has given you. And that's what giving is. You can't give what you don't have you got to receive first, and then you can give. Yes, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive, but let me tell you what you've got to receive from God if you're going to give to anyone. You can't love if you haven't been loved, right? It comes from God. The grace of God is like this eternal shower of blessings that just keeps coming out. And you got to just open yourself up and just start receiving. Receive from God. That's the grace of God. And see, you won't get your questions answered if you think God is bad. Do you know that? If you think God has bad intentions for you, you're never going to get your questions answered. But if you realize God is good, then you're going to start receiving the answers to your questions. That's why it's so important to understand this. So after Peter said this, the whole assembly, everybody that was meeting in this room, became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God was doing among the Gentiles through them. They became silent and listened. Now, can you imagine if I went to a good friend of mine and, and, and I, I asked him a question? I said, hey, what? how does this work? Before he could tell me the question, I plugged my ears and I just started saying, la, 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 la. See, if you want God to answer your questions, you got to listen to him. you got to be silent and listen to him. And I've, I've come to the realization it is very enjoyable to listen to God. Even if I don't hear anything, it's enjoyable. 
I get quiet inside. I just, okay, woo. And it's not Zen. It's not yoga. It's not any. I just, I just start shutting down my worries, shutting down my plans, shutting down everything, and saying, it's time for me and God to be one-on-one. I just want to listen to God. You can do this. You can be quiet before the Lord. You can be silent before the Lord. And you can hear the voice of God. Each and every one of us can. You can hear from God. But you've got to get quiet. You've got to set time aside. And, and, and quantity of time. We talked about this a few Sundays ago. Set some quantity time aside for you and God. Now, each and every one of us is different. Some of us can lay in bed without falling asleep and get quiet before the Lord and hear from Him. Others of us can't. Others of us need to be in a car, maybe driving by yourself, and you get quiet and listen to God. Some people, maybe it's while they're jogging or while they're walking, they can spend time listening to God. Find out what works for you and do it. And do it most every day. Listen to God. Be silent, and God's going to start talking to you. You're going to start hearing from the throne room of heaven and you're going to get the answers to your questions because you got silent and you listened to God. All right, so they got silent. They listened to what Barnabas and Paul said. And when Barnabas and and Paul had finished, then James. Now, James was kind of the, he was the the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He was the half-brother of Jesus. James spoke up and he said, brothers, listen to me. Here again, listen to me. Isn't that interesting? Simon, that was Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to to, to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. Look at this, the words of the prophets. In other words, what was written in Scripture is in agreement with what Peter was saying, and he went on to read or or probably quote from the scriptures. He says, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins. I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And he was quoting. I should have looked it up. I can't remember where what part of scripture this came from. But he was quoting from from the Old Testament. And I'll tell you what, if you want the answers to your questions, consult the Bible as the ultimate authority to the answers to your questions. Measure everything that you hear from somebody. You, You have people come up and they'll pray for you and they say, I think God's will for your life is X, Y, and Z. Say, well, you know what? Thank you very much. First of all, thank you for telling me that. But first, I'm going to go back to the Bible. I'm going to find out if what you're telling me lines up with the Word of God. Lines up with the Word of God. You want answers to your questions? Go to the Bible and say, you know, the Bible is the ultimate authority for any answer. And I'm going to find my answers in the Bible. I'm going to make sure it's in alignment with what I'm doing, with what I'm planning to do. A lot of people say, well, you know, I feel like blah, blah, blah. Or I think, or in my opinion... Who cares how you feel? Who cares what you think? And who cares what our opinions are? What counts is what God's opinion is. He doesn't have opinions, by the way. <laughs> what his direction is and what, how it's written in the Bible. And you take that. I'll tell you what, Tina and I have been guided by the Bible so many times, more times than I can count. 
God shows you what to do through his word. That's why it's important to read the Bible. You say, well, I don't have time. Make time. I'm ADD. I can't focus. Get focused. You can do it. I'm ADD too. (laughs) My brain goes every which way. You can do it, and you should do it, and you must do it. Read the Bible. And around here, we make it super easy. We send out a text every day of the week, of the work week, with some suggested readings. There is no reason on earth why you shouldn't read the Bible. No reason. You say, my eyes are bad. Well, pull out the Bible app, press the the little play button, and listen to the Bible then. You can do it, you should do it, and you must do it. You need the Bible in your life. The Spirit of God comes as you're reading it, and He brings the Word of God to life. Have you ever done this before? You're reading a scripture, and it's like the words pop out and grab you and shake you and awake you. That's the Spirit of God bringing to to life the Bible as you read it. All you have to do is just do it. Just read it. I hope that's clear enough. (laughs) I'm just trying to encourage you. Encourage you. All right, well, we're almost done here. In verse 19, James says, it's, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We shouldn't make it difficult. Can you imagine if you walked in the doors of this church and first thing, we waved a paper with like 20 rules on it. We said, hey, if you're going to come to this church, you better do these 20 things. We're going to be monitoring you. We're going to be calling you. We're going to hold you accountable. You'd say, I'm not coming here. Give me a break. This is too hard. All right? We don't make God difficult for people. And God doesn't make himself difficult for people. God makes things simple. Not always easy, but simple. Easy to track, easy to understand. And I love what James says. He's, in my judgment, we are not going to make it difficult for these Gentiles. And I'll tell you what, God keeps things simple. Look at this, how simple this is. Love God, love people. Psh, that's simple. <laughs> that's not complicated. Just do it, all right? Things like trust in God and don't worry. That's simple. It's not easy, but that's simple. It's straightforward. I love this one. Read your Bible, talk to God, and participate in church. That's simple. That's that's easy, right? Just do it. Just do it. God is not complicated. We're the ones that make spaghetti messes out of our lives. And then we come to him and say, God, can you please straighten this out? Because I made a mess of my life. And I love what God says. He's going to make your crooked paths straight. Make a beeline for Jesus. If, if you see all these curves in your life and you got lost, all you got to do is fly straight back to Jesus. You don't have to retrace your steps. Isn't that encouraging? God is so good. He's so simple. And it helps us getting our questions answered a lot easier because God is not complicated. I'm so thankful for that. So here finishing up in verse 20. Here's what James says. He says, instead, we should just write them and tell them to abstain from polluted foods by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat strangled, uh, the meat of strangled animals and from blood. And by the way, you know, it's kind of a head scratcher. When you look at that, you say, well, that's a weird list of things. 
you know, right? It's like, I don't get that. Well, what it was is they were just encouraging the Gentiles to come out from their idolatry. All three or four of these, these activities all had to do with idol worship. And they were saying, pull back from your idol worship. And we all have idols. I mean, we have idols of money. We have idols of social media. We have Id- Whatever consumes your attention, that's basically an idol. And that's where you say, I'm pulling back from my idols. And I'm just coming. I'm going to make God my God. Does that make sense? So the people, so I'm not going to read you the letter. It was five sentences long. That's how long this letter was, that the Jerusalem church, they wrote up this letter of instruction, sent it back with Paul and Barnabas up to the church in Antioch. It was five sentences long. It wasn't paragraphs. It wasn't pages. It was simple, straightforward, and that's how God works. His answers to you are simple and straightforward, understandable, applicable. You can, you can put them into practice right away. That's what I love about God. I hate, I hate unnecessary complexity. You, you get into these businesses, and there's all these processes and, and SOPs, standard operating procedures. The military's got it. It's out of control how complicated things, when you just do things simply, it just is so much easier. God is so good that way. He keeps, he keeps things simple. And look, the people there in Antioch, when they received this letter, they read it, they were glad, and they were encouraged. And that's what happens when God starts giving you the answers to your questions. You get glad, you're encouraged, and you might, might lead to another 10 questions, but that's all right because it keeps you engaged with God. You're saying, God, I don't get this, but I trust that you have the answer for it. God, why did you let this happen? But I'm not holding it against you. I just am curious. God, why did this happen? God wants to answer your questions. And he does simply, does things very simply. So in summary, just throw this up. You know, the the importance of your, your understanding of God's nature is, first of all, God doesn't discriminate. He's definitely going to be changing you little by little, day by day. He purifies our hearts by faith. It's God's grace that saves us, thank goodness, not our own efforts, our own strength, our own, uh, our, our, our own way of doing things. He's the one that saves us, and God keeps things simple. So if you get those four things straight about God, now you can turn around and you can start saying, God, what about this? What about that? What about the other thing? And here's how he answers your question. You put your feelings and thoughts into a question. Write it down. Don't let it bug you. Just write it down. Deeply discuss that question with other godly people. If God has showed you something, you already know it. Just receive it. (laughs) Receive what God is telling you. And then lastly, just enjoy listening to God. And I do. It took me a long time, but I enjoy the process of listening to God. Even if I don't hear something on a given day, I enjoyed the 15 minutes, the 30 minutes, the 45 minutes of just listening to God, spending time with him, being close to him. You can do the same thing. And I want to encourage you today to do that. Questions are good because they keep your connection with God fresh and relevant. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, God, for this time together. Lord, I thank you, God, that you're not, you're not a father who, who says, just do what I tell you and don't ask any questions. That's not how you operate. And no good father does that, actually. 
Lord, you, you want us to ask questions. You want us to be curious. You want us to be intrigued. Lord God, you want us to come to you and talk to you and ask you questions and, and, and even sometimes debate things, Lord God, through prayer. I know I have many times. Lord, but at the end of the day, after I've prayed, Lord, you give me peace. You give me answers. You clarify my thoughts, Lord, so I'm not confused and in the dark about things, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you that you're a good God and that you're not up in heaven, Lord, just shutting me down and telling me what to do and, 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 and not being engaged with it. No, Lord God, you want relationship with each and every one of us, your children. Oh, Heavenly Father, I also thank you, God, that you don't wave a bunch of rules in our faces and, 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 and call that relationship. No, Lord God, you invite us in, into your, into your presence, Lord God, and, and you just slowly, meticulously, but surely change us, Lord, shifting this thing, taking that thought out of our heads, Lord, changing this attitude. Lord, freeing us from, delivering us from addictions, Lord God. We all have them. Lord, free us, Lord God. You deliver us, praise God. And Lord, I believe there's a spirit of deliverance, Lord, in this place today. Praise God. You want to set your people free. Set your people free, oh God, from hang-ups, from strongholds, Lord God. Hallelujah, from oppression, from depression, Lord, from possession. Praise God. You want to free us, Lord God. And I glorify you, God, for that, re for, for that reality. <laughs>